This podcast is part of the Midwest Podcast Network. Find out more about our other shows and how to support our network at MidwestPodcastNetwork.com. My name is Alex, and I have not read Caleb Carr's The Alienist. My name is Nick, and I am quite familiar with the text. Today we will be discussing Season 1, Episode 4 of the TNT series titled These Bloody Thoughts. While we will not be spoiling any of the book, and by extension, any future plot lines of the show, we will be discussing the details through Episode 4 of the series, so pause this and go catch up before you listen to the rest of our episode. You can find more episodes of our podcast at TheAlienist.tv, and you can send feedback to feedback at TheAlienist.tv to tell us what you think of our podcast and share your thoughts on TNT's or Caleb Carr's The Alienist so we can read them on our show. Send us corrections, observations, or anything regarding The Alienist or our podcast, much like our good buddy Yoop did. Yoop, a longtime Midwest Podcast Network listener, Wrote in to say, yo guys, I finally watched and listened to the latest episode of The Alienist and now it's time for feedback. I didn't like the first episode, but your discussion did make it more fun. The (laughs) second and third were a lot better. It is great to see the team dynamics start to develop. I agree with what you said in regards of that it is so often just one genius and some side characters in these kinds of shows like Sherlock House and others. This team reminds me more of Ocean's Eleven in which every member of the team has a specific part to play. This makes most of the side plots important and integral to the main story and keeps the tension high instead of breaking it. For someone who didn't read the book, it's nice that they deviate from it a little. I can't wait to read the book after the show ends and be surprised with some of the twists and turns that didn't make the show. Keep up the good work, and I'm still waiting on the Preacher wrap-up episode. Yeah. You, thank you for writing in. Uh, Yeah, that is still forthcoming, and hopefully we will rectify that. Before season three of Preacher airs, it's in the vault. <laughs> I was actually thinking about it the other day. I was like, would at this point would it be better served as a lead-in to season three? <laughs> I think we can do something that's yeah. We actually have a, there is some news about the show now that yeah. we can sink our teeth into. So yes. we, we were just waiting for this moment, Yoop. That's all. yeah. We wanted a little more. We waited long enough. We might as well wait a little bit more. But Yoop, thank you for joining us on this ride. Yeah, that's and, actually uh, very exciting, and I, I'm glad that it sounds like you have plans to read the book after watching the series. And I will be dying to hear your feedback. Yeah, yeah. If you want to talk about the book, you can have a little mini book club with Nick because I don't Woo! read books. We could talk about The Dark Tower also. Yeah. And other great fiction. Yes. Congratulations on the Olympics, Yoop. You guys are killing it right now. Yeah. I don't know. I don't watch the Olympics. I think Netherlands is, at the time of this recording, I think they are third in total medal count, if not second. Wow. Wait, first is Norway. U.S. is fifth. That's all I know. Canada's fourth. Hmm. Norway, then maybe... I don't even want to guess because I'm going to get it wrong. But Netherlands, I think, is third. I'm going to laugh if it's our lowest medal count just so happens to coincide with Donald Trump's presidency. <laughs> I mean, there's been a lot of upsets. If you've been watching the Olympics, there's yeah. been some, there have been some surprises. It's been a lot of fun. It's anyway, not a bad thing. We can spread the love we around. We will do the Olympic podcast once every two yeah. years. The, the Midwest Olympics. <laughs> oh, my <nerds>. God. <laughs> we should totally do that. <laughs> 
all right. We did get one other piece of feedback from a new new writer named Nevi. Uh, hi guys, I'm so glad I found your podcast. I was looking for a good discussion on the alienist, and the subreddit is rather surprising. Look small. no further. Yes, we're right here, in front of your ears. Yeah, uh, I was inspired to chime in on the last small ar- or on the small arm debate. I too noticed nothing amiss. Small arm. <laughs> small arm gate 2018. <laughs> Uh, this is sad because I devote my entire attention to the show while watching, but I couldn't decipher what was going on between Mary and Laszlo. Also, I never pay attention to handedness in shows and movies. I don't think the show draws attention to it either. Besides, wouldn't a normal person just assume his left or left-handedness in this case, unless this was a time period in which one got institutionalized for that, which it probably it might be. There might be left-handed people in Laszlo's institution. That's true. Uh, anyways, your podcast, thanks to Nick's extensive book knowledge, has cleared up many things for me, including, number one, my puzzlement over why Moore's job exists if photography exists. <laughs> number two, what the deal is with Secret HQ. Number three, the relationship between Laszlo and his servants. I actually thought Mary was being nefarious and spying on his investigation. Number four, Laszlo's affinity to kids was not obvious to me. I thought he just worked as a child psychologist in an insane asylum. And number five, Laszlo's shame about his arm. I assumed it was an awkward sexual tension at play and was too busy being disappointed by how unattractive a shirtless Laszlo is. <laughs> I'm really enjoying the atmosphere and mystery of the show so far, though I wish it could elucidate things more for us non-book readers. Keep up the good work, Nevi. Thank you, Nevi, for oh, writing yes. in. Oh, yes, thank you very I, much. I, I will say... I got a great laugh out of the, the last <laughs> bit of that email. <laughs> I, di- I did feel slightly vindicated by this email and also i spoke with nicole after the last podcast to see if she noticed anything and and i feel better about myself not not that nick was saying that i should feel bad about not not noticing it because you were more concerned that the show yes didn't show it and after properly. after you texted me to say hey i'm vindicated read this <laughs> i wanted to make clear that when i said during that recording that that is a problem i was referring to the show not alex's yeah. perception of people's limbs pro- in proportion to the rest of them yeah so it, you know as as he said about how how he devoted his entire attention to watching the show i watch every episode of the show twice mm-hmm. that's my policy for for these podcasts that we do and the fact that I could watch it two times and half watch a behind the scenes featurette about it and still not realize what was going on was a little baffling. Yeah, it's but. weird. It's weird because I almost I almost wonder if it was a problem or if it was kind of intentional, like it was only for the keen eyed. Because in this most recent episode that we're gonna talk about, they call a lot more attention yeah. to it and they explain it a little bit. But even that's kind of clunky and a little bit, and we'll we'll talk about that. Too. I would still think that people who didn't know what was going on in that scene would would not. I they, don't they think there's a way the to connect the dots. Yeah. That's that's a good point. So they, yeah. I don't. Did they even? I was the last time on. Like, did they even call it out there? I don't think I, so. Yeah. So I don't know. But. The only reason it it's really stood out to me, and like I like I said in the promo images, I was looking for it was because in the in the book he takes like pretty great pains to hide it like he tries to make sure people don't notice yeah and while i agree that you're not necessarily paying attention to a character's hands and what they're doing i i think it it might have popped out to some viewers who hadn't read it yet because it feels unusual to watch a character only ever do things with one hand like even like i'm a right-handed person but i use my left hand 
every day for like lots of different things. We 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 all use both hands all the time, and in the show, it's very like the only thing he regular routinely uses his right hand for that we see is that he walk he uses it with his cane, which is kind of weird. I feel like you wouldn't want to use your weak arm for that. But I think it's kind of like a giving the arm something to do a Maybe, little bit to try to keep it somewhat. Not, he ho- not he holds- even necessarily to keep it somewhat, but to like make his. Um, it almost kind of hides it a little bit in a way because if he's got the the, the cane in it, then he he's free to use his left hand That's true. to do other things. And maybe with. it makes it look like he he's that arm is fine. Yeah, it's true because it's mostly when he's out in public that he's he has the he's cane. got that cane. Yeah, they do they do say in the book they more calls attention just as the narrator to the fact that Laszlo will hold books with that hand. Yeah, because he can. He can chain, turn the pages with his dexterous hand, and the right hand he can just kind of prop the book open, hold like it that, there, yeah. which is what I do with my left hand, and I turn pages with my right. Yeah, Alex, I assume had you read a book. Yeah, that you if I knew same. what books were, maybe I would <laughs> do that too. Uh, the only thing, other thing that I will say is that once you, now that you have called attention to it, you can tell that Daniel Bruhl is doing something. Oh, yeah. to that effect, for it sure. It is very much part. It is an affectation that he's putting on when he's acting. Well, which, I know I noticed which, it in the first episode, and I was like, okay, yeah. okay, good. Like, well, and you had the expectation of maybe knowing that yeah. he's got a crippled arm of some kind, and, 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 and it's so, it's it's an important character trait, and we see a little bit more as to why in this episode, yeah. but we still haven't really explained why. Yeah. And Roosevelt gets kind of close to it. He kind of knows, and I think he knows, but he doesn't let Sarah know. Okay. But anyway. All right. This episode was phenomenal. Spoiler alert. Yeah. I loved this well, episode. Well, let's let's get into it. <clears throat> yeah, okay. All right. The teaser. Laszlo goes to visit a former patient who is the madam of a sort of kink parlor. That's my own parlance there. Mm-hmm. So he tries to learn more about the killer by asking why a man would take pleasure in inflicting p- pain and seeing blood. The madam explains that people often look to deal what they receive or receive what they deal. If the killer enjoys inflicting wounds, the killer likely has wounds himself. She comments that, quote, the cripple in him is looking for the cripple in another and touches Laszlo's crippled arm, causing him to recoil and make a swift exit. Uh, yeah, no, I thought this scene kind of confirming it all and putting it there solidly in perspective and and laying it all out I thought was was pretty good and I thought it was also kind of cool to see Laszlo deferring his knowledge he's like I don't know about this and mm-hmm. I know you know more so let me come talk to you about it and that's that's phenomenal that's cool yeah I really liked it I with each episode my absolute enjoyment of Daniel Bruhl as Laszlo continues to grow yeah he's just getting he's he's perfect yeah he's actually I dare say making the character even more interesting than he is in the book because we're spending a little bit more time with him in terms of in the book. You're always with more yeah. basically uh, most of the time there are little bits of chapters where you're with other characters, but in general you're always with more and where, where you're with Laszlo he's around too. So it's nice to kind of get these scenes where he's with other people and, uh, giving him some more backstory that way rather than having it be told to you by a narrator. Yeah. Not just having him bounce off of more mm-hmm. and yeah. Although I would enjoy a little more of that because they are really fun when they're together and yeah. their interactions in this episode are great. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was an awesome scene and I think that characters that are very intelligent and they're intelligent enough to know that sometimes they need to go to somebody who might know more than them. I really mm-hmm. respect that. And I liked that we got to see that she was a really interesting character. Yeah. As far as I know, she's not in the book. Okay. And I, uh, 
I liked the scene quite a bit. It felt like a natural fit, mm-hmm. you know. Probably she was brought into his institute. You could fill in the backstory really easily, I mm-hmm. think. She was brought to his institute for some kind of weird <clears throat> deviancy, probably sexual thing of some sort. Something that today would probably be considered not that crazy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But and at the time, it's the same with the idea that in order to better understand a killer you need to understand the basic theory that what he is dishing out is probably part of who he is i feel like that's pretty common thought now that when people are are trying to trace back why criminals are doing what they're doing but back then it's probably a pretty novel idea it's just i mean even more kind of box at every idea that laszlo has about understanding a killer he's like that's not gonna help and he's like yeah dude chasing clues he's like why aren't you following the clues yeah yeah um i thought it was great it reminded me of two things actually, which I guess are just one thing, really, just Hannibal Lecter. And in the show Hannibal, Hannibal sees a psychiatrist as well. He is still a patient for somebody else. Yeah. And she is kind of hip to who he is. She's suspicious, I think, and thinks he's more than than what he lets on, at least while he's still on a straight and narrow in the show, or Mm -hmm. while he appears to be. And it reminded me kind of of that, the idea that even a shrink needs a shrink. Yeah. And, uh... It also kind of reminded me of Hannibal in like Silence of the Lambs, but we'll talk about that another time. Okay. Uh, but it was a great scene. I really liked it. Yeah, me too. I loved the maid that was a dude yeah. that roamed in because he reminded me of, uh, which season of American Horror Story is that? Three, where the guy who's like the manservant at the uh, the coven. Yeah. The long yeah. hair. Yep. Yeah. Dennis O'Hare. Dennis that's O'Hare. Yep. He is, in every season of that show, he's the best character, I swear. <laughs> he is so good. He's we, one of the only good parts of True Blood, actually. Man, well. I can I can gush about American Horror Story for a long time. That's that's another podcast, but he is always really really good, and it kind of reminded me of that of this is kind of weird looking middle aged man <laughs> just dressed in like some questionable clothes and just yeah. del- delivering things to a madam. It was really yeah. good. Yeah, and Laz was just kind of like, oh, okay, <laughs> that's that's what that is. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't even know what to call her. Like her place of business yeah because you don't really ever get a a real good grasp of what exactly it is like it feels kind of like a fortune teller parlor but at the same time it feels like a brothel and at the same time it feels like a i don't know yeah like she even said like some people like what did she say about him like out there he's like a businessman or he tells what people to Uh, do and in here he likes being told what to do he's a foreman for the brewery who usually gives the orders in his everyday life but takes orders here at the madam's house right like maybe he just like pays her to do that yeah. like you don't really know yeah it's it's interesting but yeah. it was cool uh all right act one roosevelt is being hounded by the press in person and in the papers connor enjoys it and drops off john moore's sketchbook to roosevelt playing coy about whether or not he knows it's moore's he tells roosevelt to get his best detectives on it maybe the quote-unquote smart jewish boys and he does that with sarah in the room as well the Isaacsons are back at Castle Garden in the daylight and find climbing holes as well as the piton that was used, likely used to make them. Sarah stops by Laszlo's to drop off John's sketchbook, but she instead finds Laszlo in the park where he's ruminating about things. She's quick to leave, but Laszlo asks if she has considered their last conversation further. Sarah doesn't think she has it in her to be a killer, but Laszlo explains that he thinks that it's in everyone. John finds his way to another shut-down brothel that looks like it's been opened anyway. He finds several boys in the back playing a game and is startled when Marcus Isaacson welcomes him to the Golden Rule. So, yeah, Roosevelt, um, 
the Teddy Roosevelt, seeing the Teddy Roosevelt like political cartoon in the paper felt weird to me because I was like, that actually looks like Teddy Roosevelt. <laughs> and this doesn't? And this dude doesn't <laughs> feel like Teddy Roosevelt. Like in, in, in that world, the caricature of Teddy. I don't know. Maybe I don't know what a younger Teddy Roosevelt looks like. I mean, you can find but pictures of we, Yeah, we, we, we've discussed that. and We're beating a dead horse in that respect, I suppose. But um, what do you think about Connor? Does Connor know what's up? Because yeah. he strikes me as being really stupid, but also I feel like he knows what's up. <laughs> yeah, Connor's, Connor's definitely your, your henchman. Yeah. And... Oh, man, I keep forgetting Ted Levine's character's Burn. name. Burn. Burns. Burns. Tom, Tom Burns. Tom Burns. Okay, so he knows what's up for sure. Yeah. And he's definitely giving marching orders to Connor, but I feel like Connor... You know, we didn't know at the end of the episode who picked up the book. Yeah. I thought it was the killer. It was the killer. I think it had to be the killer. Yeah. At least he picked it up and took the picture out. But I don't know because I felt like the picture was also in there. This is what I was wondering. This is the bit of missing information is how Connor came across it. Yeah. And and so that that I think that's the thing because I feel like when Connor opens it and shows it to Teddy you can see the the drawing of Giorgio mm-hmm. but at the end of the last episode we saw some shadowy figure i guess that could have been connor but why would it be yeah so i don't know like i think maybe we're not supposed to know i think this kind of ties into the last scene of this episode in terms of intent and i guess we can kind of come back around to that yeah yeah, but as far as this scene goes, I, I thought it was really cool. It was really tense. I think Connor, for being kind of a knucklehead, he can still be a bit of a wrecking ball if he felt so inclined. And I think Roosevelt knows that he's kind of on thin ice with these guys already. And if they wish, they can knock it out from underneath him. Yeah. And Connor was kind of reminding him of that, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the point of that was quite yet if it's to tell him to back off or at least we have an eye on you or we we know you were there we can't prove it but because the jsm are moore's initials and while they can say this was moore's journal you can't put him there necessarily you could say oh his book wound up there that's weird yeah (laughs) show me the show me the tape but (laughs) nobody saw him there there's nobody that can actually place him there except for rose and i'm sure he has an alibi they all are going to be each other's alibis so I think it's kind of the idea that we we're going to be watching you very closely from here yeah. on out, and you you caught us you slipped by this one time, but it's not going to but just again. barely because mm-hmm. we got the sketchbook. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, that was cool. I I did like that scene. I liked the I liked Roosevelt making Sarah give it to Laszlo, knowing that Laszlo would be the meanest to John about it. <laughs> like, <laughs> that was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. That. Yeah. They uh, didn't talk about Laszlo in this scene, right? No, that's, 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 that's after later. the park. Okay. Yeah, she comes back from yep. the park. But. Okay, we'll get there. Uh, the Isaacsons with the piton at Castle Garden. That was cool. More science. How do you feel about that? Uh, the fact that the killer's a climber. Alleged. Alleged climber. The alleged killer is an alleged climber. I don't know. Uh, it's just another piece of the puzzle. It's another line on the chalkboard at this point. All right. So I it does it doesn't it hasn't struck me as anything crazy yet. Gotcha. But, um and then Sarah and Laszlo their whole conversation, the the idea that the mother that was in the park 
ended up drowning her children because society told her that she needed to be a mother, essentially. Felt like a very interesting look. There's the idea nowadays of the patriarchy and everything and the idea that society shapes men and women into gender roles. Obviously, that's not recent, but it's it feels newer than the 1890s. So to see it applied by Laszlo in the past to say that this woman was pushed to be something that she wasn't and therefore that was the 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 spark that caused the tinder to blow I think is a very interesting application of that knowledge. It feels a little anachronistic to me, but I think it's cool. Like I think it works. Oh, I loved it. Yeah. I thought it was a just some of the best writing that we've seen yeah. yet. Yeah, I can agree with that. The his description of all humans basically being made up of the same raw material and being combustible by yeah. by a certain event. I'm really glad that our we had a discussion that was slightly ahead of this scene because we were talking and I don't recall if it was the last episode or two episodes ago, but I was I kind of brought up the example of you know like someone who is a bad who was a rude driver and yeah, the, yep. the ability to you know, make the decision to let things go or is it in your nature to let things go? And if it is, what caused you to be that way? Yeah. And I'm really glad that we kind of touched on that before the show did because that is a that is a theme of the book, but it's not a, it's not really a focus. It's never delved into in, in this intensity of this one scene. Like yeah. the show is definitely getting much more into that idea of free will versus i guess nature versus nurture is a better, yeah. better way to put it yeah and it, while the book does talk about it and there's actually a hilarious little bit by more about uh you know when he's talking about the idea of all these people being drawn together like as though they were always destined to meet and work together on this case he's he even makes a, a side note of like i'm sure laszlo would have lots of things to say about free will but well <laughs> that's for another day kind of thing it's really <laughs> funny but anyway as far as the scene goes i thought it was just fantastic and i wondered it left me wondering if that woman actually if, had if anything, he, if he was anybody just, in if that. If he was just winging it. <laughs> oh, God. That would have been interesting. I don't know that it has a place in this show, but maybe maybe. No, but I think he's certainly capable of it. Yeah. Of spinning. And that, that story could be real. It just maybe wasn't that woman because she never goes like, what, do you come to the park every day and why keep an eye on her or what? But but that also seems extremely plausible that Laszlo would just for sure sit in the park and people watch. And yes. And, and take in and, and know who they are and be able to take in a lot about them. Because as far as looks go, he's he's pretty, if you don't didn't know who he was, I'm sure he would blend in. Yeah. But anyway, uh, it was a great scene and yeah. I really liked I like how angry with him Sarah was initially and how even at the end she still kind of is because she knows what he's up to, but, but she's all like the, the horror on her face as she like ruminates on everything that she just learned and, and was told, uh, I think is also, I, th- I just thought it was very good. It was not like a, I feel like she's on an interesting arc mm-hmm. against Laszlo too, just of like what what is he doing to her, and how is it changing, but also kind of validating her too, you know? Yeah, I think he's kind of almost on her side, saying like you know, the many women, most women in in this society are sculpted into something they weren't meant to be or don't want to be. Yeah, and maybe in a way he kind of respects her for 
wanting, striving to kind of break the break mold, the whether mold. she knows it or not. And whether she knows why or not, I guess, is kind of his point. Like, are you well, this that, way because was you the, want to be? That calls back to the 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 Vassar reunion, reunion that she was mm-hmm. at and being the only old maid in the room, essentially, however she oh, put it. Right. You know, being 23 or whatever, <laughs> whatever she, she is. is. Yeah, I know. It's hard to tell. <laughs> but, yeah, like that, obviously, from that standpoint, she looks around and realizes she's not where we're all these women are. Right. But she and, might and not it, understand the psychology though, behind it. Even though she likes who she is, I think, it makes her uncomfortable. Yeah. To be in a room full of other people who are in this other place, even if you don't want to be where they are, it still unnerves you because yep. you're the different one in the room. Yeah. It's uh, it's complex shit. It, it is. is. It is now, if not even more so today than it was then, but at least today... People you, are more aware of... You, exactly, yeah. And you can find other like-minded people through yeah. the internet or anything. And, and back then, it's like you... You know, I think her... We're so desensitized to this level of violence now. Like, we could hear a story about a mother drowning her two kids, and it's like, unfortunately, that's like Tuesday night news now. Yeah. And back then, like, her, her reaction is so good because this is, like, fresh hell to her. Like, <laughs> yeah. she's never heard of anything like this. And she's like, I could never sympathize with a woman who would do that. And Laszlo's kind of like... He almost is like, yeah, but maybe you should because maybe she was pushed into that, which is which is a weird and interesting stance for him to take. Yeah. But it's part of what the he kind does. Of the, the why why is it her fault mm-hmm. that? Anyway, yeah. very cool, very interesting stuff. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Marcus and John. There's more in this next act, so we can just break into that. Okay. Marcus and John visit the most recent victim, Ali Ibn Ghazi's brothel which Roosevelt shut down after they learned his identity. They find a room with a window that has a clear shot up to the roof. Marcus and John find signs of the killer on the roof when a boy named Joseph, who goes by Bernadette, shows up. John talks with Bernadette and tells him never to go with Allie's friend slash client Nora Man with a silver smile and to instead come to him. John gave him a business card. Connor and Burns meet in the bar again to discuss Willem, but Burns pays a visit to Mrs. Van Helgen once again. He warns her that arrangements need to be made to get Willem out of New York, but she doesn't seem to take heed. Someone presumed to be Willem puts on an ointment or cream on his arm and then places them into gloves when a boy prostitute enters. Willem tries to lure him out of the brothel, but the boy protests. However, Willem explains that we do a lot that we're not supposed to do. That was a good line. Yeah. Um... So, Marcus and John at the brothel doing some science. Uh, this was the golden rule, right? Yes. Yep. That's from the book. Uh, as is, I think, the woman who runs it. I'm pretty sure she's in the book. She was played by Kate Dickey of... Um, she was in The Witch, right? She was in The Witch. I think she's yeah. been in Game of Thrones. Yes. She also yep. popped up in Star Wars for a second this past year. So, she's having a, a good... Mm-hmm. Good go of it right now, uh, but she was very good. Yep, fits right in. Very gross, perfect. Um, yeah, I didn't. So she was in the book. Is there any like? Did it feel different? Was how big of a role? <coughs> no, I, I think it, she's she's around a couple times in the book. It, it's really exciting to hear like the names. Like Ali Ibn Ghazi is the name of that boy who dies yeah. in the book, and. Joseph is a, is a minor character. He's okay. he's going to come back uh, here and there, and that was really exciting to see him show up. Um, and I think the boy who plays him seems good. That was definitely a good moment on the roof when he wipes the makeup off of him. Yeah, I felt 
I didn't feel weird about it, but it felt weird to me that Joseph didn't protest more. It's the the kind of question is whether or not these boys are being forced into this or if some of them genuinely like identify more with this lifestyle. Yeah. And I think the show is and and the characters in it certainly are taking the stance that they're not capable of making that decision yet. They're still kids. Yeah. So I'm sure that if those characters like Laszlo and John interviewed the boys, some of them would probably be like, yeah, it's not so bad. Some would probably say it is bad, but it beats the alternative. And some would probably say it's horrible. Like, I don't like it. I think Joseph is kind of in that last camp of like, he's he's not into this lifestyle in any degree. Okay. He's just kind of a sad kid who's in this, this life. Yeah. And they are all obviously really pitiable because they're, they are kids. Yeah. And they, they're not, their minds are not formed yet. They can't possibly. They didn't make that choice. Correct. For yeah, exactly. So it's obviously horrible and disgusting. And Moore's act is definitely like a little, I don't know. I see what you're saying. Like it's almost a little presumptuous. Just be like, here, let me straighten you out here. And like not, yeah, not to put makeup on your face. Cause that's not who you are. But, uh, he definitely does it out of like just pity. Like these kids have to and, have to walk around, paraded around, and all this makeup and like. Well, and it's <laughs> not it's not John's want to do that that irks me. But I guess I just it's not like I know enough about Joseph at this moment to be like, is he actually accepting of this or not? Right. So yeah. I would you know maybe maybe it doesn't matter. Too I much, I think but. to him it's probably a relief that there's like an older man who wants him to just be himself be boy, and. Yeah. and not even be a boy, but just not be painted up and presented as something. He just yeah. wants him to be comfortable and like normal and not like on display. By be a boy, I meant more along the lines of like be a child. Yeah, yeah, be a kid. Yeah, exactly. You know. And just and just be be chill. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm struggling to find the not right words for it. Not be a prostitute. But, it, but it, yeah, and whereas he's used to all the other men wanting to put makeup on him and do something to modify or alter his appearance. And even Marcus is like, thanks for the tip, kid, and he's out of there. Yeah. Because he got what he needed from him, and John just wants like the extra step to to make him like comfortable and be like, you know, I I genuinely care about the situation that you're in. Yeah, and I thought that was really good because that's that's pretty true to the book. Like he takes kind of a liking to Joseph and is like, you know, I've found someone who maybe we can keep out of harm's way, and maybe he'll listen. And who could also kind of help with the investigation? Yeah, exactly. Too. Um, yeah. in your in your recap, you said to not go with. Don't go with Allie's friend slash client, nor a man with a silver smile. Okay. So, uh, John, John kind of, because when John talks to Joseph, he doesn't like the reason Joseph enters the scene by saying he was a saint as they're talking about this man that's using rope to get up and away from the roof and off of the roof and everything like that. Right. But John doesn't know whether or not that client has the silver smile or not. Joseph says he doesn't know. So you think that John is considering the possibility that these are two different people? Potentially, yeah. And not not only that, but also just along along yeah, like it, it could it could be there's two different people doing it. It could just be that maybe maybe he's maybe because John is hip to the silver smile that maybe the killer's hiding it more. Like that kind of thing, I think, gotcha. was how I kind of read it. But just be, because Joseph didn't know whether or not he had a silver smile. Like if you see this man again or if you see a dude that has a silver smile, right? don't do anything. Basically anybody who tells you to come with them. <laughs> yeah. Don't go anywhere with If anyone anybody. says he's going to take you to a castle in the sky, 
Yeah. Uh, Connor and Burns in the bar. We see Mrs. Van Helgen again. Uh, Sean Young. Yeah, I can't believe I didn't recognize her the first time because as soon as she started walking down the staircase, I was like, it's Einhorn yeah. <laughs> like, right away. <laughs> I don't even think of Blade Runner first. I think of Ace Ventura. <laughs> I mean, there God. she is. I, I, for some reason, that's the, the second time that I think you've brought up Einhorn, <laughs> and I did not like. I know that Einhorn is from Ace Ventura, but I was, I did not like make the connection that Sean Young was in Ace Ventura. But anyway, she's had quite an interesting career. <laughs> yeah, she's been all over the place. Uh, she was almost Catwoman in Batman Returns. Oh, interesting. And she really, wa- she was like dying for the role and tim burton finally like he chose michelle pfeiffer was chosen instead and apparently sean young like went ballistic and like started stalking tim burton and like really freaked him out yeah anyway uh yeah so once again burns pays her a visit and she just like doesn't want to acknowledge that her son is a thing that needs to be dealt with she doesn't want to acknowledge way. anything it's no. weird she doesn't say anything she's, she's not in this world no there's she's not even on there's some not even, ethereal plane she's she just, might be a ghost she's on all the opium <laughs> available <laughs> she thought she was laying down in that moment and then realized oh i've come down the stairs carrying a dog <laughs> yeah i don't know it's a uh, it's an interesting performance an interesting uh uh, just characterization but, even, but it's got that's the thing it's a char- it's totally a characterization because mr van Halgen was the same way yeah it's it's weird i i think i i mean it feels like they're trying to draw or they are drawing a parallel to just like most i shouldn't say most because that's really awful to the idea of like a really rich kid who's kind of he has been driven to like dark places because he has it all. And he's he probably just, been raised by the maids more than his yes, parents. So and he has really distant parents who are aloof and are too caught up in their own lives to worry about him. And so yeah. he becomes kind of dark and twisted. I, yeah. Tales with of the, his time, With right? a parent like Mrs. Van Helgen, I think I would <laughs> be pretty crazy too. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. And then... Ted the, Levine is so good, by the way. Ted Levine's always he good. He's so good. I like that we have yet to see his mouth in this whole show. <laughs> he's just a mustache that talks. It's so good. Yeah. God, his voice is just perfect. It too. is the best. It is the best voice. Um, yeah. Why doesn't he do more like commercials and stuff? Maybe he does. We and, just don't and know. We just don't know yet because there are so many celebrities that Are do there those. any disembodied mustaches that you've noticed recently not as many as i'd hope he's in a show called the bridge that uh diane kruger and damian bashir starred in on the fx and it was very good but he plays this like texas sheriff and it's perfect perfect it's so good he is i mean you've got to see silence of the lambs first of all i didn't didn't even know he was in silence oh my god (laughs) that's on record right now (laughs) See, Alex hasn't seen Sounds of the Lambs, and I was likening this show to that before we yep. were during our first like kind of pre-production meeting, if you will, before yes. we, we started recording. And he was like, "I've never seen that," and I was like, "I okay. almost bought it in the Criterion sale this past week." Oh, did was, they re-release it in Criterion? They did. They oh, did. that's really cool. Yeah. Oh, I'm gonna have to do that in the next sale because I actually don't own it on Blu-ray. Yeah. See, that's one of those movies that I'll buy in each format as it continually comes out. Oh my God! You didn't know Ted Levine was in Sounds of the Lambs. I nobody write in feedback about this point, by the way, unless it's just to ridicule Alex. But don't say anything about Sounds of the Lambs. 
Yeah. Nick doesn't want me spoiled at all because I somehow don't know much of anything about the movie. But yeah, anyway. it's such a gift. I, I, I can see somebody watch that for the first time. It's so good. Yeah. He's also uh, in a Wild Wild West, FYI, <laughs> which you have seen, I'm sure. I have not, actually. Oh, oh that's, yeah. that's acceptable. <laughs> that's totally Although fine. it does have Kevin Klein in it, and I do love Kevin Klein, because who doesn't? But <laughs> Well, see Wild Wild West first. <laughs> uh, and then, all right, uh, this weird person putting ointment or cream on their arms. Yeah, I don't... I, I just made the connection that maybe that's because he's been climbing a lot. Uh, <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. But he puts the ointment on his whole hands and arms all the way like up to the, the elbow. The weirdest way ever and then puts the gloves on. Yes, like that's maybe, a very Maybe he's been wrestling with the rope that he's been using and stuff like that that he needs this ointment. It's a very unsettling performance. For like sure. just physically, it's yeah. very every even the way he's sitting in the chair like his posture is like Well, and the way he gesticulates too with the gloves on is mm-hmm. so particular yep. and It reminds me know. of like a Doug Jones creature from yeah. like Pan's Labyrinth or something. What if Doug Jones is playing a teenage <laughs> affluent boy? <laughs> I mean, he can do a lot. I don't know. <laughs> he's very talented. <sighs> I, we need more Doug Jones for sure. Yes, we do. Uh, anything else about that other than that spectacular line? It was a great line, but it was a delivery that really like bothered me because the words registered in my brain, but I didn't process them right away because it went to commercial and I was like, what did he say? But I knew what he said in, yeah. my, in, my, in my heart and it freaked me out. The lighting in the scene is really cool too. This show's the production value is... face is always yep, shrouded and... This show's production value is off the hook. Like yeah. it just looks so good all the time. Even when it's clearly like a set. Yeah. Like, like I expect to see like a, a modern person with like a painting brush and a ladder to walk through the background. <laughs> it's the fine. The mic at the it, top. Yeah, it works. Yeah. It works totally. Maybe that's the Fukunaga... <laughs> fukunaga touch the fukunaga effect yeah i don't know uh act three laszlo tends to a dog killing teen in his office and gets angry when the teen does not cooperate with their discussion he then goes out to the playground and helps young ezra exercise his hatred of his mother on a ball that they kick against the wall john comes to see laszlo and learns from cyrus that he was out with miss howard and uh this mention angers mary John proceeds to take Mary out to check out Edison's Vitascope, a primitive motion picture projector showing waves crashing on a beach. So Laszlo and the teen who's killing dogs. Uh, I yeah. So that I don't I don't think it was so much Laszlo getting frustrated with him, but Laszlo trying out a technique with him. Mm. I think it was very. He made a conscious decision to yell at him to see how he would react, because I think Laszlo's kind of like. I mean, he's a scientist, and he's kind of he does he's maybe, but I think he's striving for. I felt like he also because he goes to kick the ball after Ezra walks away, mm-hmm. and he seems frustrated still. Like I, I kind of put those took those things together as like Laszlo, like maybe Laszlo's too distracted to really be putting the care into these. That's a fair sessions point. or something like that. Yeah, or he's Some, he's got that weighing on his mind that he's trying to help kids and he's thinking about the other kids out there that are going to be victims. Yeah, so he gets frustrated of like when 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 he feels resistance from that boy he, from someone he's trying to help. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a fair. That's a that's a good read. For sure. But it, it did feel a little. These scenes of Laszlo in his asylum feel very separate from. 
the story in a lot of ways. I like them, but I loved them. But I don't. I don't. I'm still not. I don't feel like the show is cinematically connecting them as well as I would like them to. You still have yet to get like the establishing shot of yeah. the school, yeah, yeah, from too many cooks with the, <laughs> with the falcon. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Um, yeah, I know. I know what you mean. Like we we don't have a shot of him approaching it from carriage that should have been in the first episode. I yeah. agree, hundred percent. The geography of the show is still sloppy, and I feel like it's the kind of thing where the showrunner like they watched the premiere and then they went, they sat up and went, "Oh shit!" They had their like Home Alone Kevin moment where they're like, "We didn't establish where this place is." Either it's that, or it's just the fact that like it's got to be stupid expensive for them to put to paint old New York over everything. That if they do shoot anything on actual location, it's got to be like they probably saved lots of money by deleting every establishing shot in the Photoshop time or in the in the premiere timeline. Perhaps like it's it feels so weird to me that basically all of the establishing shots we get could be Laszlo walking up to the same brownstone in New York, Mm -hmm. knocking on the door, walking like it. They could. The the same the madam's house at the beginning of this episode could have been Laszlo's house the two times that John and Sarah go to it. That's and true. It meant, you know, I can see no difference in my memory of watching the show. I got you. Not saying that that's what they did because I don't know that, but it it just it feels very strange to me. It feels like it had to be like a budgetary limitation or something like it that. It could be. I would just think that they could find a way somehow to yeah. establish, even if it's like a, in the X-Men movies where they show the gate that Wolverine drives through and there's just a placard on it. Xavier's, like yeah. Something that just says like the Chrysler Institute for children. Mm-hmm. Boom. There you go. Like give us some, we need, those are, those are basic fundamentals of st- cinema storytelling for a reason. I'll comment on the secret HQ after paying a little more attention and seeing Laszlo's house and his study once again where Mrs. Vig walked in, I'm able to tell the difference between the secret <laughs> HQ and Laszlo's study. Now. I think the HQ is the Institute. Yeah. I think it's in the Institute because it is, it operates independently of everything else. Yeah. I still don't like that though. I think that the, the, it's the still si- connected to Laszlo. So. Exactly. The decision made in the book is made very deliberately to have it in an anonymous rented space and nobody knows about it except for them is by design so yeah. that nobody can trace them back to it. And they can, you know, unless somebody's tailing them, they can't necessarily follow them there. Yeah. They can't anticipate them being there. Yeah. So anyway, whatever. It is what it is. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I liked those scenes a lot, though. I think... I really enjoy watching Laszlo interact with the kids because I know that it, it it does matter or it should matter. It matters in the book. I have yeah. yet to see in the show really them get into exactly why it's so important. But um, It could be coming though. Oh yeah, uh, I, yeah I believe yeah. it is, yeah. I like the scene with Ezra especially because he's kind of like, I'm going to let this kid be angry for a minute and like the look of horror on the woman's face and like all the other children are like, he's encouraging him to pretend he's kicking his mom in the head. Like, Yeah. But, you know, it... It's therapy and maybe it's, maybe it's gonna work yeah it, it could essentially be a literal exorcism of mm-hmm. that demon but it's the, the woman the woman commenting about how they're all rambunctious and it might be because of the full moon and lazo's like i don't think the it moon has, has nothing, has nothing to, do, to do i assure you yeah that was so good yeah that was hilarious <laughs> it was quite good 
Yeah, because there's probably scientists that think that does have something to do with it still. <laughs> yeah. And Laszlo is ahead of his time, clearly. And yeah. he's just like, yeah. You know, I wonder if the if dealing with the psychology of kids is, is more complex than adults. It's got to be, for it, sure. It does, because yeah. because kids well, hide. I think kids want to hide things. I think if adults want... But I guess to an extent, most, I don't know. Most adults don't have the mental acuity to tell you why they're feeling something. Yeah. The idea that a child would be able to better than an adult seems wrong to me. But also the fact that like the brain is still developing until you're in your 20s, essentially, is it's got to make it difficult to navigate that kind of mind that is still developing you and that know? is developing in the wrong direction potentially developing in the wrong direction not like obviously that would still have an effect on an adult too but like mm-hmm. i think through the lens of time adults probably have the ability to be a little more self-reflexive than children who things happen to them and they might not be able to connect those dots but that's true i think on the reverse side though and i could totally be wrong but i think you could you could lead a child to a conclusion more quickly, probably by through a series of exercises that are probably today well established that you can you can get a child talking about how they're feeling more simply by just like giving them something to play with and then talk to them. That's true. Versus an adult. You can lead it. An adult can make a discovery and understand it and implement change on their own, and whereas kids can't. But at least you could extract things from a kid and then make a plan to help them and they well the kids should be more impressionable to adapt to whatever solution is put in front of them too yeah but i think i mean i think it's pretty well known that kids are always so much quicker than we think like they yeah they yeah. learn and and they learn kids do say the darndest things. they do <laughs> and they learn so quickly and the, the way they the way they learn is incredible because they soak up everything yeah. there's there's nothing being like shoved off to the sidelines it's nope. like they, they just absorb it all so yeah it, it is it is interesting come back for the midwest child psychology amateur nerds. amateur psychiatry hour <laughs> yes we're gonna we're gonna open up the uh the lucy van pelt stand of psychiatry <laughs> here yes uh john taking mary out was pretty awesome oh so good yeah so good i was really waiting for that well, it's fun to see Luke Evans put on the charm a bit oh, yeah. for once, kind of, <laughs> instead of being the dude who's just seeing prostitutes and then also around a childhood friend. Yeah, but it was really sweet that he he does it in a way that's platonic. Yes. Like he's initially, he's a little bit like, you know what? Get your best dress. I'm taking you out. And he's kind of like got this look in his eye of like taking a lady on a date. Yeah. But then when they're out, he's very like just kind to her. Uh-huh. And that's so that that instance pretty much does happen in the book like that. And Laszlo is very angry in the book, probably mm-hmm. angrier than he is in the show <laughs> that it happens. And uh, Moore does kind of do it to be a dick yeah. in both mediums. Yeah. He's kind of being an asshole. But he also, I mean, he really like he likes Mary and he wants her like, in his mind, she's being like, kicked around by laszlo yeah she's got to deal with laszlo mm-hmm. every day and he's like oh laszlo that old crotch yeah let me let's let, me, let a real man <laughs> show you a good time yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> however in the book i don't remember what they do i think they just go out and i think he takes her to like a to like a meal and i think maybe they see a show but i don't think they see something like this and this was so so good yeah this is like the story uh what the uh the one the ones about 
the train. The great train robbery. Yeah, the yep. great train robbery. Totally. And essentially, them watching the the waves crash. I thought the same thing. Hearing the hearing the music playing along with the waves and trying to like emulate that as well. I think it was all very. It was a cool. I got weirdly <laughs> emotional watching this scene because it was just the power of like movies and the power of like the moving picture the genesis of the power of <sighs> cinema i will never ever 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 lose my love for sitting in a theater with a bunch of people and watching a movie i'm just a theater goer for life yeah. and it makes me so sad all the time that people are less and less and less willing to go out and sit in a room like that but it's so beautiful to watch like the people that were getting up and leaving because they yeah. were like nauseous they and like couldn't, couldn't handle the, <laughs> like, the fake waves <laughs> on a shitty screen. <laughs> oh, it was so good. Not I even it. in color. Yeah. It reminded me of like the end of Hugo. Did you see Hugo? I did. I was about to ask you if you saw Hugo. Oh my God. I, I, I was like, my eyes are welling up at the end of Hugo because I couldn't believe what a beautiful like love letter it was to, to cinema. To Yeah, cinema in general. And the scene was just so great. And, and I loved Mary's expression of like delight and she was like so into it and more was having a good time and all the people in the theater that were reacting together and like yeah seeing the piano player and the mm-hmm. guy turning it who was really into it and he was getting so much joy out of watching these people react it was just man it all clicked so well yeah. and the music like the show's music was so good mm-hmm. it just felt like this amazing scene and it reminded me and this is i know this is a leap but this is one of my all-time favorite scenes in movies ever uh, when Chris Evans is in the room in Sunshine, uh, oh my God, what's it called? This is terrible that I can't remember what it's called. Uh, such a disappointment. Do you know the scene I'm talking about? Though I, it's been so long since I watched it that oh, I can't man. remember. This is pathetic that I can't remember the name of it. Anyway, there, there's a room on the ship in Sunshine that they use as like a therapy vessel and they yeah. they project things into this room that are supposed to make you feel a certain mood and because Chris Evans' character lashes out in the movie at one point they prescribe him to two hours in the something room I can't remember what it's called <clears throat> I gotta find it I Thank gotta you. find it uh, they prescribe and he's they prescribe him two hours in there to like calm down and reflect and they they send him to like a tranquil scene at first in a in a forest and he's initially watching some big waves crash and some girls like screaming and like laughing at getting hit by the waves. And then they send him to a forest and Chris Evans is like, no, 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 go back to the waves. And the guy's like, yeah, the doctor says you need to watch something peaceful. And he says, the waves make me feel peaceful. And they go back to it. And it's this breathtaking moment in this movie where these, it's this larger than life moment where these huge like waves are crashing up and Chris Evans like sells it so well. Cause he just has this awesome grin on his face and he's just like, brought so much exhilaration and joy from watching these waves and it totally reminded me of that even though the reaction in the show was one of like terror and not yeah except for mary and john who are just like really caught up in this moment anyway it reminded me of that oh it's so dumb that i can't remember it because sometimes somebody somebody says the earth room yep that's it is it the earth room earth room because they're not on earth and and part of the idea is that they're because they're in space they need earthly things to make them remind them of what to home psychologically is like, yeah. put them right yeah. to see and, and hear sounds of like a, a forest or a jungle or a, a meadow or waves crashing. Anyway, if you haven't seen sunshine, you know what I'm talking about. Do yourself a solid. Well, and that, Go yeah, watch I sunshine. mean, even, even in, even in, uh, in, in the alienist watching that scene, the idea of like these big waves crashing, it's not really something you see in New York. Yes, there's beaches, but like, that's true. That like naturalistic ocean monstrous kind of Yeah, somebody went to the coast of like 
it might have been in Europe or something. You don't I, really know you, where it was. Did you watch any of Big Little Lies? Oh yeah, I actually watched the whole thing in like a week. The way the waves crashing in mm-hmm. the in the final episode of act of that is yep. what I thought of when I was watching it. But yeah, it's it's really cool. I mean, it just that whole scene is a whole microcosm of emotion for me, and just very very beautiful. Yeah, just to watch it even reminds me of like the idea that not so long ago you had to go to a theater to see a movie and once it was gone that movie was gone yeah. like, you didn't see it anymore <laughs> home video sure hope exist. you went to the theater to see <laughs> you know anything 2001 yeah. because after that it, it might get some special engagements here and there but even that was like a novelty idea and film critics in the 60s and 70s used to write about you had to go to the theater you had to take a train especially french film critics i did a lot of i mean this is if you've watched or listened to our podcast you know i did a lot of French film study. Yeah, a lot of French film study. And, you know, Truffaut, when he was a critic, he used to write about you, you would take the train to, like, where a movie was showing because they would all, all their buddies, they'd see, like, oh, a Hitchcock movie is showing two hours away. We need to go. And yeah. they'd all pile into a train. They'd go see it. And then they'd catch a train back home that night. And they'd, it'd be like this eight-hour process to go see a movie. But you had to do it because the movie would be gone. And you didn't get to see that movie. I mean, yeah. how foreign is that idea now? <laughs> and then multiply that even more so by this experience like oh we got to get down there and see the the waves because <laughs> if you miss it i don't know it's yeah. just it's amazing it's so cool yeah agreed not to make a big giant uh statement about that whole scene but damn did i love it <laughs> no it's good it's good hopefully people listening uh take delight in the fact that we could pull apart a sh- such a short seemingly fleeting scene into something more than that but yeah i hope it just uh, i hope because it hit me too like it's it just it's a very not only does it serve as like this interesting meta textual moment on enjoying cinema and tv and everything from that standpoint mm-hmm. but also the snapshot in time that it gives you of just this is what is going on in 1896 in terms of coming out to go to a movie Right, where that whole theater going experience kind of is, I think it it serves like it's an important dual purpose. So yeah, and I think it also reinforces in terms of that metatextually referring to the idea that it, that is a shared experience between them. Yeah, like John could have gone and seen that by himself, and he probably would have been like, "Oh, that was cool! Can't wait to tell the gang down at the men's club about that yeah. new fangled camera." But but he'd just be there being like, oh, you had to be there. It was great. Exactly. And because he's there with Mary, the person who can't speak, she can't vocalize how she feels about it. It has to all be in her face. And she does such a good job. Yeah. And it's just this nice, beautiful shared moment that they will have. Like, she's not going to have that memory with anybody else. It's just really, really cool. I think yeah. a cool comment on taking the time to to do things with people that matter, things that you can look back on. Yeah, and and remember that. Like, man, remember. Like enjoying a TV show together and talking about it every <sighs> week with ain't that the damn hundreds truth. of your closest listeners <laughs> and you and you the yes. closest listener the, the one yeah the closest yet also furthest away that's listener. true yeah we actually have yet to watch an episode of this together though we keep watching it separately yeah yeah well it, but we still meet and talk about it that's true so uh f- the rest of the half of act three sarah asking roosevelt what happened between him and laszlo roosevelt reveals that they once challenged each other to a duel of fisticuffs but the whole room was bothered by laszlo's crippled arm except for laszlo himself roosevelt could not fight him and laszlo tries to put his boots on by himself and he calls out for mary only to find that she's not home he takes the opportunity to snoop around in her room 
Uh, I liked getting a little more context about Laszlo and Roosevelt. Yep. But as you said, it still feels like there's something on the table that Roosevelt didn't necessarily uh, volunteer to Sarah. Because he's a little more discerning than somebody like Laszlo is, I guess. <laughs> but, yeah. Part of it's just, I, I think I just have to make peace with the fact that this Roosevelt sucks. He just <laughs> he just kind of sucks. I I think he's building to something special towards the end of the show. This is Roosevelt Begins. He's not there yet. Yeah. that's See, that stinks because in the book, that's very it's very apparent that he's already TR. Like yeah. He's already there. He's always been TR. And uh, they t- Moore talks about how even in college, he's kind of that way. And that's part of what leads to the friction between him and Laszlo is like he's very body and outgoing and very like boisterous. And Laszlo's more reserved and more of a nerd and a bookworm. I'm just waiting for the scene towards the end of the show when he's like, there should be national parks in this country. (laughs) Looks into the camera. (laughs) Makes his impassioned plea. Parks matter. (laughs) If that Uh, happens, uh, you'll be the first text I send. Yeah. Uh, like I can't believe. He he just is so like unenthused about everything. And even the delivery in in this scene is just so like... I just don't, I've never, I don't think I've ever seen this actor in anything else before. And I just, I'm not sure that I care to see him in anything else after this. Cause he just doesn't seem to be going for it at all. And I don't know if it's him or if it's the direction, if they are reserving some of that, I don't really know. But at this point I'm still watching the show four hours in and going, why is this guy? What cast? are they doing? Yeah. Uh, he was in the hurt locker apparently. I assume he's so he, probably he one of the dudes up. who died at the beginning of the movie. He explodes at some point. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I can't really vocalize it other than what we've already said of just, it does not, if you came into the show and somebody said that's Teddy Roosevelt, they'd be like, uh, okay. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I don't, I just don't know what the point is because you've got a really cool opportunity to have some fun with that and yeah. and bring the larger than life person into the show and mm-hmm. it feels like he's just kind of, Ugh. Just kind of listless, like his, his. I like some of it to me. I wonder if they're trying to fight the caricature that everybody has of Tr. Maybe if they're trying to be like this is the human, not the. But why? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> if it's part because it works so well in the book, I'm expecting it to work well in the show, and yeah. maybe it wouldn't. But anything feels better than this. He's like a saltine cracker. They just throw in the room every time. And like <laughs> act, and it just he's so dull. Throw the wet blanket out. Yes. Retrieve the wet blanket for the next scene. Yeah, because yeah, this is such a good scene, and, and the, there should be a lot of weight to this moment. And instead, it's all on Sarah's end. And even then, all she can really do is so much because all she's doing is reacting. But yeah. it feels like they just tried, but they just didn't quite get there. And it—I don't think it's his, his, him as an actor. Because I, to me, I feel like he could be a good Teddy Roosevelt. And it's not. I think he. he I think the pieces are there, but it it's just got to be like a creative decision that we we're not seeing yet. So hopefully, Maybe. hopefully it turns around. But as far as the content of what he's saying goes, it's all pretty much straight out of the book. Even the description of his arm, yeah, it's like a wing, a broken wing. Um, yeah, th- there's some beef. Laszlo challenges him to the duel. Yeah, and I forget what Roosevelt does to piss him off, but I think it's some remark, and. Uh, I think in the book they they say they actually do fight for like a second, but uh, oh yeah they do because Moore says 
Laszlo, even though he's clearly going to lose, he like goes for it with like all he's got and Roosevelt ends up beating him. But Roosevelt like respects him so much for like saying like, yeah, I don't give a shit. Fight me. Come well, at me, that's, bro. That's like, kind of that's kind of what Roosevelt says of essentially like everybody else is horrified about his arm, but he still fight like he's he's ready to throw down he's yeah he's yep. he's ready to fight even though he appears to be like a wounded bird i think i think it's in the book that roosevelt's like i'm not gonna fight you and then lazo just punches him anyway he's like yeah you are like, you're gonna <laughs> fight me because i'm gonna fight you hmm. anyway that doesn't really matter yeah maybe well, we might get another i wonder what laszlo's telling of that story will be I'm not sure he'll, we'll ever hear it out of him. Maybe, I think because not. in the book, he never talks about it. The, this is pretty much... The way this comes out is, is pretty how similar. It happens. Yeah. Mm. All right. Except I think it's Moore who tells Sarah about it. Yeah. Anyway, that doesn't really matter either. Uh, and then Laszlo trying to put his boots on, failing, snooping around Mary's room, not knowing how to function on his own well not not only not knowing how to function on his own but also being like unable to i don't think he can tell mary how he feels about her he doesn't have that language or i think he's interpersonal skill (laughs) (laughs) feelings yeah i has he doesn't have the relationships for dummies manual that he needs to read through yeah he, I think we're also watching him kind of realize that oh. she matters to him a little more than he even knows. Yeah. Because I think he's kind of discovering that at first he's annoyed, like, where's my helper? <laughs> and she's not there to help him. But I, obviously, he do, I think he does care for her. We've seen that in the show. But I think it's kind of in this moment when he kind of makes the choice to, like, smell like her sheet or whatever, a piece of her clothing and kind of, you know... Our our sense of smell is very deeply tied to our emotions, and I think yep. he obviously would know that. And even when he picks it up, he's kind of like hesitant. Like, do I really want do to I do want this? To put myself through this. And even then, he's like, I'm sure his brain is firing in a million directions. <laughs> like, what does this say about me? <laughs> and but he's like, yeah, whatever, and goes for it. And you know, even when he goes to leave the room, he turns back for a second, and then yeah. it, it like goes to commercial. And I was like, what well, was there more after that? Like, it was kind of a little abrupt, but. I think he's feeling some. He put on one of her dresses, actually, and then yes, and then and then serve tea to the madam. (laughs) It was it was a good moment. I think it's nice to to see him privately take a moment to kind of be like, man, maybe I, maybe I do need her more than I realize for many reasons. Yeah, for some reason I didn't quite get that reading off of it when I watched it, but that that makes a lot more sense. And and I don't know. I'm interested to see where that exactly goes. Mm But uh, I think Mary's yeah. so good. I think no, I think I think so too. I think they're both great. The way they interact with each other is awesome. They're both so well cast, and they're both just killing it. The whole cast is really good, even if yeah. more is still kind of confusing, still, <laughs> still puzzling. Yeah. Uh, act four: John and Laszlo verbally spar about Mary and Sarah. When Laszlo asks for John's help putting on his boots, he asks John how his ex-fiancee leaving has become part of his sexual ritual with prostitutes. John says the shame of her betrayal affects him somehow. They argue about whether or not what each of them is doing is actually leading to the killer when Laszlo pushes John away once again, telling him to go see a dentist if he's so confident about the silver smile. John learns that the mercury salts used to treat syphilis can cause a silver smile, and Laszlo has him add that fact slash clue to the chalkboard. Mrs. Santorelli swiftly exits her house with a letter in hand, and her son sprints after her to stop her from taking it to the police but she continues on. 
So, yeah, the the moment where Laszlo picks up the chalk, <laughs> I was like, oh, man, Nick's going to love this so Nick's much. Nick's the only person who cares about this right now. Because the chalkboard in the show doesn't matter. No, but it even like even in the show, it feels important. Like, and it's because it's the first explanation of like Laszlo being like, "These are all the clues." Because somehow John doesn't notice. He's like mansplaining to John. This is where we keep the clues. (laughs) Totally, and John needs to be mansplained too. Oh man, that's funny. But yeah, it, it it was a very it felt cool to me too. But I, as I was watching it, I was like, Nick, this is Nick's moment right here. I just Even don't know Nick's why moment was earlier during the cinema part. Yeah, but. that was my first moment. That was my most important, my biggest moment. Um, I don't know why they're stripping away the importance from a couple things like the HQ and the chalkboard. Like in the book, they're they're treated as like objects that matter things things yeah. they're almost other characters like they're things that are going to help you get there and it's such a cool simple thing to do i just don't know why they're not doing it and i don't want to spend any more time talking about it because i've already beaten it to death but no but i think it's just one of those things where it's like with any adaptation the people who read through the book are gonna value place value on different things that's true that's like, a good point I could probably read through this book and you'd be like, there was a chalkboard in it. And I'd be like, what? <laughs> How do you spell that? And then it just, it, I, I think, <laughs> I think it's, these, these are things that can be lost in, in different people's interpretations of the book. I think the detail that you get out of reading a book is nowhere near the detail that I get out of reading a book. And that's been illustrated by any time we've talked about the few comic books that I've been able to read. <laughs> Which have pictures. Yes. Uh, but. you see, I, I see what you're saying, but there is express attention called to the chalkboard. In the, There's in the, a chapter in, written from the chalkboard's viewpoint. <laughs> yes. He's, he's voiced by H. John Benjamin. <laughs> uh it's chosen very particularly for and 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 with great purpose and it's always talked about how it's the ritual that they sit around it and they all update laszlo and he they post new theories to each other and he he is the only one who is allowed to do it like he is the one who manages the chalkboard and it's like a special moment when he lets somebody else do it yeah anyway it doesn't really have a huge bearing on the show but i think it's such a wonderful little it's almost like their water cooler yeah and there's something cool symbolized about it just this big giant because he talks about how it's massive it's like it's like one it's from a college i think he even says they they buy it from a college anyway it's just something that i miss and i think it's really cool in the book anyway it is cool that laszlo it it makes sense that at the institute he would already have a couple big giant ass cool chalkboards laying around and more is enough of a dunce to just dismiss it as like more <laughs> school work set decoration yes when really it's been laszlo working on it all the time yeah, yeah. he literally thinks it's, it's a nice set you've got here laszlo it's well decorated i feel smart in here <laughs> <laughs> what is all this rambling you have uh, yeah i anyway we need to rewind a little bit i think we jumped right over some of the stuff uh, yeah we, we did we did uh just excited to get to the chalkboard and i do appreciate that and it does get a cool shot there's a shot from above it mm-hmm. it does get some attention called to it, it I, I appreciate that it does uh their discussion about john's broken engagement i guess mm-hmm. is kind of what we skipped over a little bit here the idea that and that's the thing the way that the conversation plays out 
as John is is using the little hook to to put the boots on, which number one, why are people wearing any clothes like that ever? <laughs> First of all, people are going to wear says that. The about- dude in a hoodie, a t shirt, and some jeans. But also, <laughs> the why, like what is? <sighs> I don't know. Like I had to rewind that scene when I was taking notes on it because the way that they kind of. They get interrupted by John being like, give me your other foot, which I think is good. It's like, it's very much like a, I'm still helping you even though you're being a dick to me. Yeah. But the, Laszlo asks him the question and John is like, why do you think this matter? And then Laszlo's like, is it the way, like, is it how you met her or the way that she left you or something? Like, I don't, the way that he phrases it is really strange. And it, he still, like, intuits the fact that, like, John being left is adding to his sexual experience with these prostitutes. And John acknowledges that. He's like, I've, the, the shame that I feel out of it, the humiliation of it, is something that I'm applying to this situation. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you thought about that any more than I did. Like, I... I think it's a really good scene for a lot of reasons. And I I initially was not really interested in the idea of John's dalliances being any more than just him just working out his emotions. And in a way, that is what it is. And I mean, in the book, yes, he, he has a broken engagement. And I've kind of talked a little bit about it. But in yeah. the, it's never delved into quite like this. And they do kind of say that John is, he's in his mid to late thirties. I think he's supposed to be like 37 and he's definitely a carouser. He likes to go out and party with girls and he likes to drink and he likes to gamble. He likes to live that kind of lifestyle. And they kind of just chalk it up to like, yes, he did have a broken engagement and it's a little bit embarrassing and it does bother him, but he just goes and has fun and they just kind of chalk it up to like that. That's his idea of fun. And, in the show it's a lot it's a lot darker and more true to life i'm sure than yeah. than it is in the book and in the book it's used as just a backdrop for his character that he's kind of this cavalier guy and it's just all what he's off doing when he's not and people just go oh they just make jokes about it like his grandma was like oh <laughs> that john out till all hours of the night yeah and it's just more it's a little more fun it's almost kind of pulpy and in the show it's definitely a lot darker and, and a lot more like you know, like I kind of ref in the first episode, I think I referenced Memento. It reminds yep. me kind of of that, which yep. is also like really sad, like insanely sad, way sadder than John because Leonard Shelby will never escape that. Yep. And John will eventually be okay. Yeah. He's just dealing with this in this moment. And we don't know the timeline of when he was left, but uh, it must be fairly recent. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we did talk about this theory in the first episode that he's trying to recreate something with her based on the ring. And yeah. And he keeps giving her and then taking away. That must be her ring. And Laszlo, I think, I don't know why Laszlo knows what he knows. He clearly, John doesn't seem to question it. He just is kind well, of Well, like, Stevie finds him there. Or no. No. Somebody Sarah, does, yeah. Sarah, Sarah finds Sarah him does. there because Laszlo tells, or somebody tells him. Maybe it's common knowledge. Yeah. Anyway. Um, I think Laszlo, I think with a, like, not unlike a lot of great discoveries, I think Laszlo's right there. He just has yet to break through. I think he's very close to figuring it out, figuring out what he wants to figure out about the killer. Yeah. 
and he's just trying to attack it from every angle, even if it means pissing off his friends and hurting himself and the the people that he cares about. And I think John has a has a moment in this scene where he's clearly like, just like annoyed, and he I think he is beginning to understand a little more. Yeah, that it's not personal. That this is Laszlo's way it's of his working. educational dissection. Yes, and even though it's rude and it's mean and it's callous and it's not good necessarily, I think he's kind of like, ugh, all right, I'll I'll answer your questions. And in a roundabout way, he's kind of helping himself too. Yeah. And so I feel like Laszlo, whether he knows it or, or not, is almost providing therapy for John. And it's the kind of thing it's that like I feel like he's going to... The next it. time we see John at the at the brothel, he'll pull the ring out, but then decide to put it back in his pocket. Or not go to the brothel. Yeah, he might... Well, it's not, it's not crazy. <laughs> but I, I think that they are kind of helping each other, even if it's painful. Yeah. It's this kind of... It's this interesting process where, like, you know, sometimes I think healing in in real life can be very hard and you can have to put yourself through a mini crucible being self-reflexive about anything is yeah and and sometimes changing and growing is is hard and painful and it, we're kind of seeing that for both of them they they do need each other even though the scene ends with laszlo once again being a little too mean and a little too like john leaving five of 37 buttons on the left <laughs> shoe un unbuttoned <laughs> Yes, the old caterpillar boot. <laughs> and then just saying, button your own boots and getting out of there was so good. I did like the line, though, where he's like, you know, why do you keep pushing people away? And Laszlo says, the real question is, why do you keep Why do back? you stay? Yeah. yeah. Which is so mean. Yeah. It's such a nasty thing to say, but it is it is true. And I think the answer for both of them, and they know it, is that they, they are friends and they do need each other. I think they understand each other on a level that, yeah. you know, it's like... Uh, it's like Tony Stark and Captain America, man. Like they're two sides of a coin and they're really different, but they do need each other and they're yeah. still they're still boys at heart. Yeah. To put that you know, better example, Batman and Superman. How about that? Sure. Not any more advanced an example for anybody who's an adult listening to this show. I'm still gonna use child uh, <laughs> comparisons, but it's a it's a very Doctor House and his other doctors well, Sherlock and Watson really. Yeah, which yeah, that's <clears throat> which we've drawn that comparison tale quite a bit. I know I know there's more in that scene that I that I thought was really good, I was struck by, but not enough to stand out and make me want to talk about it. Apparently, yeah, it, yeah. Well, and they're just the fact that they're pissed about each other with Mary and Sarah. Mm-hmm. It's like that that being the pretense of the scene, and you that that's the whole thing of like the fact that Laszlo is like, "Hey, help me put on my boots." And you can tell that it's just a total power play dick yeah. on the table of like, I'm going to put you beneath me. Literally. I'm going to stand here like Captain Morgan with my foot up and you're going to... And then I'm going to psychologically tear you apart with my words. It's great though because he yeah. just... He's kind of... I think he kind of doesn't know he's doing it. Like he does, <laughs> he does to an extent, but I think he genuinely is just like kind of... Just up on that other level. Yeah. I did like the way John drops Mary off. He's like, we went out. Yeah. And he's just going to look at him. Hello, Laszlo. Hello, <laughs> And Laszlo's like, Mary, you're supposed to tell me. And then she like, I'm assuming she signs thank you or something to John. Yeah. And then she leaves and Laszlo and John's just kind of like <laughs> doing a little, doing a little <laughs> dance. And then Laszlo's kind of like, I have something for you. And goes in there, just goes in the next room. And right away I went, oh man, this is so good. Mm. 
And you know, I know, like, here he comes with the journal. Yeah, the whole the holding the sketchbook over. It's, it's sketchbook. I keep calling yeah. it a journal. Yeah, the sketchbook. Because it should be a journal. Because he uses words <laughs> in the book. <laughs> yeah, that was really good. The whole scene was really, really entertaining. Yeah. And uh, I like... I like that he's like, help me button my boots. And John's like, okay. <laughs> he does it instead of, no, <laughs> idiot. John's like, I know what you're doing, but, but you also need fine. help. <laughs> yes. I'm also your friend, so I'm going to help you. Uh, John going to the dentist with the boy who's manually spinning the drill. It was great. Oh, God. Dentistry is one of those things that's like still excruciating, so I can't even imagine it really? in the 1800s. It's like... Uh, not like you know just the idea of a drill going into your tooth is terrible but what about if that drill was powered by a boy (laughs) (laughs) who's just like (laughs) sitting next to you it's like it's a it's a hamster wheel he's putting water into a (laughs) into a wheel to spin it (laughs) hold on gotta run out more water yeah i mean i i have to is this pre any sort of novocaine or pain because the guy, they, the guy, I mean, at that point in time, they probably just took a scoop of cocaine and put it up your nose. That's like, true, actually. Yeah, and the guy in the chair seems a little out of it anyway. Yeah, he gives this hilarious example of or explanation of uh, of the mercury salts. Yeah, um, <laughs> that that scene was a little bad. Like the the way the way John just walks in and yeah. the guy's like Mr. Moore and just stops what he's doing and he's like what are you hearing? And hey dentist you know about teeth. This Why sign, would they be silver? The sign on your door says dentist. <laughs> I came in to see for myself. Yeah and yeah, and the dentist just stops and just goes Mr. Moore my teeth are quite fine thank you. Actually I'm Luke Evans my teeth are flawless. <laughs> Unusually so for 1896. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah. It, the whole thing was just kind of goofy. It, it, it reminds me of something that we make fun of all the time, and I just can't think of what it is. Like a scene in a movie that's very on the nose and just very sloppy, and yeah. like, let's cut to the chase. Let's let's quickly just get right there to the point. And like the scene could have literally been more just bashing his head through the door <laughs> and be like, "Dentist, silver teeth, why?" <laughs> the guy yeah. just leans. And then the, the dentist isn't even the one who like knows or understands. Yeah, exactly. It's the dude who's. The thing is, and they act like it's a stupid idea, but it's a perfectly reasonable idea. In fact, one of them should have thought of it sooner. The fact that Laszlo... I think Laszlo's still thinking, because when when Laszlo learns of the silver smile, he still thinks that, like, Sally was... Like, tripping on something. Tripping, or 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 just, like, fantasizing, or... Right. That it wasn't necessarily an actual fact that this person had a... Like, a silver smile could be taken to be, like, a... He can melt your heart with a smile. Like a winning smile. Like even a silver tongue kind of situation, that kind of thing. It's true, but the fact that Laszlo throws it out so quickly is a little uncharacteristic. Yeah, that's Usually he would say everything matters. Like we need to vet it all. That's kind of the way it is in the book, almost to a point that pisses the rest off. In fact, John is usually the one to go, that's shit. Like that doesn't, what what could that possibly matter? Which is kind of the way he is in the show. But in the book, part of their duties are to like run all these like totally boring errands, like the kind of things where you see in movies where they have to go to the library and pull up the mm-hmm. the texts and the read micro through films them. to exactly. look at the old yeah no and that yeah it sounds like the kind of task that John would get as the reporter to go to like the right and and as the person who can kind of come and go and not draw attention he's not a cop he just looks like a guy he's yeah. a pretty plain looking I mean he's like a handsome guy but not like you know he's not a guy with a weird little arm and a cane yeah and. Or or two Jewish cop brothers that are inseparable. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the last part of the act was Mrs. Santorelli with the letter, but that just bleeds into the fifth act. So let's mm-hmm. go straight there. The group unintentionally meets up at some kind of entertainment venue and Laszlo puzzles over exactly how they all got there since every everyone but him says that he himself called them there. Sarah brings with her the letter that Miss Santorelli uh, received from the killer, which is written in a way to be disgusting and cause more pain, but also mentions that the killer didn't defile Giorgio the way the papers are saying. Finally, a man with a silver smile walks into a room of quote-unquote girls and asks which one of them wants to have some fun. I liked this idea a lot. Which idea is that? The idea that somebody knows that all of these people might be in a thing and wants to draw them into one place. To confirm it? To confirm and also put them on the edge of their seat. Like he, like Laszlo's clearly like, what the hell? And the rest of them are all like, oh, it's so weird that you're here. Like he's, he's on that extra level mm-hmm. and the idea that somebody might be watching them and being like hmm, you're sufficiently terrified right now or yes. puzzled it was a really good scene yeah i really i also really enjoyed the way it just started where last we saw laszlo and john together they were pissed at each other and they had this moment of like we it's it's almost like remember when we used to come here kind of thing like when we were younger like yeah. in our college days or something and it's really cool and i like the line of like it was the same then, same today, same tomorrow, and forever, I think yeah. is, what, is what John says. Or I last. think so. When we know that's not going to be the case. Yeah. Like, in their mind, that place will never change, but we know it's probably long gone. And it's kind of this weird, sad moment that they might actually believe that, or at least in their mind, it'll always be the same. Yeah. It was kind of a nice moment where it's almost like they kind of made peace for a, for a second over that memory. I just thought it was neat. Yeah. But yes, the... The meeting like that is really, really cool and really eerie, especially when, you know, I think we've all had those moments where you're in public and you just happen, your eyes just wander across the room and you lock eyes with somebody awkwardly and you're like, uh, (laughs) one of you looks away yeah, and you're kind of like, uh, but then you might keep locking eyes with them accidentally Mm -hmm. because your, your brain is like, why did you do that? And because it's like, why did you do that? You keep doing it. It's like, also, are they looking at me? Right. Exactly. Like, do we keep? Yeah. And, and it's cool because in, in, in that scene, they're, that's happening. There's people looking at them as they're looking around. And you're like, oh, God, like, is it one of them? Or yeah. is this just one of those chance things? And I really liked the way Marcus was doing it where he was kind of like trying to be slick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and whereas the other ones are just kind of like whirling around, looking around the room. Uh, this was also something, one of the things that led me to believe that maybe the silver smile and the... And uh, I guess at least uh, what's Fatima or Ali's killer might be two different people. The fact that we get the scene of the silver smile walking in at the end to another brothel or wherever those boys are. They're like a candy store. Yeah. It's weird. They're like yeah. an ice cream it's, parlor. It's the candy store from Willy Wonka somehow. Mm-hmm. Charlie Bucket is there. Yes. Uh, so I, I don't know if we're supposed to take those last two scenes as happening concurrently, but the idea that the silver smile is walking into that candy store as they're sitting at that table kind of crossed my mind. But it, I guess it doesn't necessarily need to be that way. Or maybe he saw them all meet up and walked away. It doesn't really matter that much. But that was just something that kind of also puts the idea of Potentially, it isn't just one person, but 
I will say that based on my knowledge from the book and the sh- deviations the show is taking, I cannot confidently speak to exactly what's going on here. Okay. However, I think you're being pretty perce- I think you've been pretty perceptive about the things you've seen in this episode and I think that these are two different people. I think the silver smile guy is the guy from the brothel earlier, this the the guy with the with the gloves? Yes. Okay. I think he's the same person because the jawline and mm. general face shape seems to be pretty in keeping. I went back to watch that scene afterwards and I was like I'm pretty sure this is the same person. Um <clears throat> Don't know for sure though. Well, and plus the the my feelings about Willem maybe being a red herring of some kind also. All of that these thoughts that I've brought up this episode plus that have made me sensitive to the idea that there's two people maybe not necessarily doing the killing, but that things are being confounded in the way that they want to present them to us. I think the person with the silver smile is Willem. Yeah. And I think he's the guy who was in the bathhouse. Yeah. And I think he's, the based on the general build, I think that he's the guy that was putting the gloves on. Uh, he seems young enough to still be someone's son who probably should have left home but hasn't yet yeah. because he's rich. But I think that those events are happening separately. I can tell you that the letter is extremely accurate to the book. Mm. To a very important degree, the letter is really, really, really important. The yeah, the way that the language is written, it doesn't feel like it's somebody who's educated. Man, you're good. <laughs> That's good. It was something that I noted just because of the way that the, I. I guess I didn't. I don't think I wrote down any quotes. Did I hear? I will tell you, you are correct. Yeah, that is a very good assumption. So, which language, which lends the the idea that a fact that okay, well, Willem could just be a bad student because he's rich and he doesn't give a shit. That's true. But too. also, I wouldn't think that somebody who's rich would not have. <laughs> Ironic that I trip up my words as I'm saying this. I wouldn't think that <laughs> someone who is rich would not have the rudimentary skills to string a better sentence together or at least use proper spelling and grammar yeah i was struck by how neat the handwriting is in the letter Mm. it's it's neater than i expected it to be okay um is it written by a bear (laughs) (laughs) yes in fact um yeah the letter is really cool i when i wasn't sure that was going to happen but it is really important and Mrs. Santarelli does bring it to Sarah in the book because she trusts Sarah. Yeah. And Sarah does bring it to them. And it is treated in much the same way where Lucius grabs it with like tweezers tweezers. and stuff. (laughs) And he's very careful not to touch it because he understands this could have been handled by the killer. Maybe there's a finger mark on it. One of those crazy finger marks. Yep. Uh, It is the circumstances by which they get it are a little bit better motivated in the book because... Somebody does publish something in the paper and it pisses off everyone in the investigation because they're like, you can't do that. You can't encourage or provoke or or release anything involving this because it's all speculation. And somebody, I forgot exactly how it gets tipped off, but somebody publishes something and Laszlo is pissed. Up. They're all upset about it because uh, no one is supposed to know about any of these killings, really. They're trying to keep it as low profile as they can. Yeah. 
and the killer reads it and he gets pissed too much the same way he does in this and that's what causes him to write the letter is he's like the what the papers said are incorrect because and they don't say in the show what the papers are saying necessarily other than in the letter he says they're basically saying that he defiled the boy yeah when that is not accurate and the show just kind of glosses over this story being written until this moment and the story should the, the publication of this moment of this story should have probably been addressed in the episode i think like somebody should have seen it and gone somebody wrote about it and they're they're we had roosevelt looking at newspapers he could have there could have been a headline there could there, have been there could have been a moment where he's like they're writing to a level of detail that they shouldn't know unless they were there we did get the moment when when roosevelt is being pelted by the press the people in the press are like have you noticed that these are all immigrants why are they all wearing dresses yeah and they're that, stringing details some of together. that stuff is there yeah and i think it it's it should at least be mentioned somewhere in this show between two characters that, hey, details that were only revealed to a small group of people that were on the bridge or in the morgue are now public knowledge. Who's leaking kind yeah. of thing? And you could just say like, oh, it's just Connor causing a, a stir. Yeah. But it's not in anyone's best interest to get people riled up either. Connor and them wanted to go away quietly. Yeah. So there's a little disconnect there for me but the letter was really i'm i'm really pleased that it was adapted so faithfully to the book the defiling is puzzling to me too because laszlo thinking it's sexually related and the idea that ali was strangled in like a sexual asphyxiation kind of way all of that like what that makes me wonder i don't know is he is he taking issue with the defiling because he thinks that it's something more beautiful than that or does he take issue with it because he did not do it i guess is where my question lies because it's like if he didn't do that to giorgio why did he do it to ali is that because it's escalating maybe did he do it to Ali, though? Well, Ali's the boy that was on the roof. Mm-hmm. And Laszlo, the way that they were saying, like, they, they noticed, like, the strangulation had happened in some kind of accepted way. Like, Ali right. didn't didn't uh, struggle. What he's drawing issue with is the notion that he had sex with the boys. Yes. And he didn't. And that's that's the distinction he's trying to make is that they're saying that I had sex with these boys when I didn't. I could have, and they would have liked it, but I didn't. And the papers ought to write that is okay is what he's saying. So he's he is upset that this detail has been included, and I think it's. I guess I just took it for granted. I felt like he had probably had sex with Ali by the way that Laszlo was talking about it. I think they all think so, but the killer is saying he didn't and he's making a he's putting himself out there to say that he didn't i think it's very important i think what laszlo is going to take away from the end of this episode is almost even bigger to him than the fact that this person is on to them or that someone is on to them is that this killer was he was moved enough by this inaccuracy in his mind that he wrote a letter and gave it to somebody to get like he he put a piece of himself out there and and basically 
acknowledged, "Hi, I'm I am a killer who there there is someone doing this." Like, and, and I'm doing it for a reason. Putting putting a physical apparition, a, a physical person to this, and and being able to say like there is a flesh and blood man walking around committing this is is making it more tangible. Yeah, and it's almost. It's risky. Well, and as he's sitting there with the letter, he's like, why Why isn't the killing enough? Why the letter? I'm trying to torture the person mm-hmm. reading the letter. But it's like the next step is him realizing what you just said, mm-hmm. that it wasn't necessarily just that or that that was what. He's thinking that it's like a perversion of like, I want to watch you feel the pain of me telling you about right. eating your boy's ass or whatever, how he puts it in there. But then also... He's correcting the record. He's exactly. Like, yeah. yeah, and I think Laszlo, as soon as he rereads that last sentence or that last bit, he's going to realize like the the intent of this letter is here in the letter. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting stuff. I'm glad we didn't even talk at all about Marcus and the girl anymore. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I didn't by. even put it in my... Yeah. There you go. Oh doesn't matter other than to listen. There's a brief, tiny, interesting thought where... Uh, Lucius is clearly very, very in- keen on studying his Torah, and Marcus is not. And I like the difference there. I also like that they sleep in like the living room opposite each other. Yeah. Well, and I guess the one other thing Marcus says, uh, or Lucius, Lucius explains to him, he's like, uh, "This is what elevates us from beasts." Yes. Yeah. And Marcus is like, "I'm somewhere in between." Yes. Aren't we all? Which comes uh, into play along with kind of what Laszlo's saying. Like we are all in this weird state of flux until we're not, and we choose a side, we choose a we choose a direction, and then we proceed down that path. Yeah. I think that's it for this week. Yeah, this is a bomb episode. It was very good. I loved it. It was very good. I'm I'm at the point now with this show where I'm I am very excited for next week. In a way, I'm glad we waited so long to record this one because it's less time I have to wait till the next episode. Yes. Yes. Uh, unfortunately, I am out of town next week. It will be another later release for our show, but mm-hmm. we're still going to aim to get something out before the following episode. Uh, but we are almost next week is the halfway point. It'll be episode five. This is episode four. So once again, you can find more episodes of our podcast on the TV. We're also on TV time, Apple podcasts, Stitcher radio, and Google play music. You can email us at feedback at the like our friends, Yoop and Nebby to tell us what you think of our podcast and share your thoughts on TNT's the alienist. So we can read them on our show. Send us corrections, observations, or anything regarding the show or our podcast. The Midwest Podcast Network has other shows about video games, horror movies, HBO's Westworld, and AMC's Preacher. Find out more about these shows as well as how to support the network at MidwestPodcastNetwork.com. Our theme music is the song Division by Kevin McLeod, and it is being used under a non-commercial creative commons license. That's all for this episode of The Alienist Recap. We can't wait to see what next week's episode of The Alienist brings, but until then... Leave the gun, take the charm. Yeah, <laughs> stick with that. <laughs>